Thank you. Thanks, Daisy. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm from Stoke Newington. Look at me. Of course I am, yeah, local. You probably don't know that Stoke Newington's actually really important in radical history, or many of you don't. This is the place where the Angry Brigade was based, the Stoke Newington 8, Amherst Road, a 1970s radical anarchist terrorist group. Um, yeah, make it out of what you will. I'm not here to defend the Angry Brigade, certainly not on their methods, but I am here to defend radical political movements. Because everything that you take for granted, all the norms and wisdoms that you assume to obviously be correct, were once upon a time considered crazy, dangerous, impossible, ignored by the mainstream until the mainstream changed and those weird ideas became the mainstream. That's the lesson of history. And that is the lesson that we need to learn fast because the future of politics and the, the incredible challenges that we face as a society, some of which you've already heard about, the way we deal with those, the brilliant ideas will not come from the center. They never come from the center. They'll come from the fringes. And over the last, well, not the last year, a couple of years back, I spent a year trying to investigate what would be, what, is, what are the ideas from the fringes today that might be the mainstream ideas of tomorrow? And so I spent a year with all these weird, radical, political movements. And the weird thing about it especially is that many of them aren't even radical anymore, and I only wrote this book two years ago. I have to change the title to, like, mainstream or ordinary because that's how fast things to, seems to be changing. But I'm going to give you a couple of stories that maybe you haven't heard so much about. So my story inside these radical political movements started with a transhumanist called Zoltan. Are there any transhumanists in the room? Yeah, no, not really. No, maybe. Transhumanists, to be brief, are a group of people who believe we can and should dramatically improve human capability using technology. Chip implants... Uh, bionic limbs, cryogenic freezing, life extension. And it's a good job that this guy, the transhumanist, was called Zoltan, because it's a perfect name for a transhuman. But it, is, it literally is his name. Anyway, he was running for president in the 2016 US presidential election under a banner of, vote for me if you want to live forever. And to do this, he, uh, he, he, he bought a, an enormous RV, a sort of 40-foot-long like bus, uh, and he redesigned it to look like a grand coffin on wheels. It's a coffin bus. To illustrate the lack of research, government research, that was going into anti-aging technology. And he said, do you want to come on my, uh, on my coffin bus, Jamie? And I was like, hell yeah, I don't want to do anything else in the world but come on your coffin bus. It didn't actually look like a coffin. One of the ironies of the whole trip was that he sort of nailed the casket over the air ventilation system. So he said, if you turn the air conditioning on, and we were in the Nevadan desert, and it was 120 degrees, he said there was a good possibility you're all going to die, which would have been ironic on the immortality bus. But he was traveling across America bringing a radical set of policies. The artificial intelligence is going to transform our economies and we need brilliant new ways of redistributing wealth because there won't be jobs left anymore. Life extension technology is going to improve and we're going to have to work out who has access to this technology. 
Is it going to be private companies or is it going to be available to everybody? We should replace the military-industrial complex with a techno-scientific complex to solve some of the world's greatest medical challenges. And we traveled across America with this message. I mean, he didn't win the election. I think you know who won the election. Another crazy radical won the election. But we had some amazing times together. One of the great stories, and it is a warning about technology, is that he had a chip implant put into his thumb, a small RFID chip, that allowed him to automatically, it's the kind of thing you have in a fob key, to automatically unlock his phone just by like touching it on his hand. So these are biohackers that were doing this and he had this chip implant, it's amazing. The only problem was that the chip only worked on an iPhone and he had a Samsung phone so it didn't even work. This is the lesson of technology, okay? The grand promises are never quite there but here's the thing. The things that Zoltan was talking about in 2015 that I thought and many other people thought were absolutely bonkers increasingly seem to be rather less bonkers. Now everybody's worried about artificial intelligence and biohacking and life extension technology. And it was from this crazy guy running a, an absurd campaign that I first started thinking about any of this. This is the lesson of the book. If you can get past some of the nonsense of these fringe movements, you will nearly always find something of value in there. And from there, I traveled across Europe and other places. I went on a psychedelic retreat to the Netherlands. I'm not going to say too much about that. You'll have to read about it. But psychedelics, I think, are going to come back in a way bigger even than they were in the late 1960s under Timothy Leary. No doubt about it. This is a huge cultural movement. And we need to make sure we're careful that it doesn't end with another Nixon war on drugs because then all the benefits will be lost. I went to a rewilding place, actually, like you just heard about. But it was also a kind of free love commune slash rewilding permaculture venture, which was absolutely amazing. And one of the things it made me realize, and again, every radical group teaches you something, was just how reliant I am on a system I don't understand. If the food or the water or... I mean, I can fix a printer, and I can, I'm brilliant at using Microsoft Word, but if the food stopped, I would have no idea what to do. And I think this is causing a deep malaise, a deep discomfort among many of us. My final stop on this tour was in a disputed part of um, Europe, a disputed territory on the Serbian and Croatian border. Um, weirdly, uh, very unusually for disputed territory, uh, Croatia says that it belongs to Serbia and Serbia says it belongs to Croatia. I don't think that's ever happened in the history of diplomacy. And the reason is to do with Serbia believes that a whole chunk of land belongs to it, Croatia believes, I'm not gonna get into the details. But the point is, a radical libertarian named Vitjed Lichka realized that under international law, if you turn up to a disputed territory and stick a flag in there, a bit of land that's claimed by nobody, which is what its definition is, uh, you get to keep it. And that's what he did. And he set up Liberland, the first country based on libertarian principles, where taxation is voluntary, where there are no rules or restriction whatsoever on what you can say, eat, do, own. Thousands of people around the world signed up to this idea. Croatia immediately shut the border to Liberland, and there's currently no one on it. But there's 
lots and lots of money flooding in from Bitcoin millionaires and other libertarians who believe that, you know what, maybe the nation state, maybe this centralized system that we've built up over the last hundred years or so, maybe it's not the natural order of things. Maybe in a world of networked communications, the idea of a physical place with its centralized governments and enforced taxation isn't going to work in future. And we should experiment with something different, something new. Now, this is all well and good. I think most of you can kind of agree. I could, I could hear you agreeing with psychedelics. But you can agree that some of these ideas, some of these people are interesting. Maybe you do agree with some of their thinking. It's all rather nice and easy stuff for liberals to nod along with this. What about the groups that you really disagree with? I spent six months shadowing Tommy Robinson, the leader of the English Defence League. Um, many people don't actually realise what it's like uh, being in a group like the English Defence League because you obviously read about the hate and the anger and the drinking and all the rest of it. But Tommy Robinson, in 2015-16, was trying to set up a new version, a respectable English Defence League for the middle classes. And he called it Pegida. It was named after a German group. And he wanted it to be respectable because he thought his message was important. And he said, there's going to be no drinking. There's going to be no fighting. There's going to be no racism. There's going to be no chanting. This is going to be a place where doctors and nurses and teachers are going to want to come. And you know what? He actually made that happen. There was no drinking, no fighting, no partying. The problem was there were no people. <laughs> because that's the reason that people were turning up to English Defence League demonstrations. You've got to be inside them for a serious amount of time to understand that groups like that are often social movements where people find it exciting and thrilling to be part of something. And having been chased around Europe by anti-fascists, having been, having been uh, had um, bottles thrown at us as we marched through the streets of Copenhagen, you could actually understand that it was a thrilling movement to be part of. Forget the ideology for a second. Forget all the stuff that you obviously disagree with. There was something in there about this movement that made people find it just an exciting place to be. And you often don't understand that or see that in accounts of these groups. Now, you can, all of you can understandably say, well, I hate everything they stand for and I disagree with it and I think it's really unhealthy for society. Yeah, that's true. However, there was a sort of, there was a moment where we might have listened to those people and thought, maybe there's lots of people in society that feel really left behind. Maybe there's lots of people that feel like they're being dismissed and sneered at constantly by liberal people who have a life that's much better than them. And maybe if we don't listen to them, we don't have to agree with what they're saying, but if we don't recognize that frustration, maybe there's going to be a big rebellion and a big revolt against the society that we're building. And that is what's happened. And I think the key thing to understand with all of this is that even if you disagree with these movements, you can still listen to them. You can still try to understand them. You can still try to get something from them. Here's the final point before I wrap up. Politics is going to change dramatically in the next 20, 30, 50 years. Does anyone here truly believe 
that the system that we have now is capable of dealing with the challenges of mega technology and AI-led monopolies and control, huge climate change, massive demographic change, growing levels of distrust in politics, environmental catastrophe. Do we really think the politics we have today is capable of dealing with those problems? No, it's not. Radical movements are thinking about those problems. They're thinking about them all of the time. And if you can get past the stuff you hate, if you can stop the kind of jeering and the laughing, if you can see a movement like Zoltan or these interesting people on this disputed bit of territory between Croatia and Serbia and think, yeah, I, agree with, I, I disagree with 90% of what they're saying, but maybe there's 10% in there that I should think about. Maybe they're onto something. Even the groups that you strongly disagree with even the English Defence Leagues of the world, is there something there I need to learn? Or does it even allow me to sharpen my own political position, my own political views? Because the lesson of history is that, well, the change will come from these people. And as Brian Eno said, if we're lessaying, I'm telling you those radicals are faring all the time, and they are faring very well right now. So you can disagree with them. Ideally, you can challenge them. Ideally, you can co-opt their best ideas. But the one thing that you must not do is ignore them. Thanks very much uh, for listening. <laughs>